Star City. We drove in with low expectations. Boxing arrows and a knockoff bat plane wasn't our idea of a great case. After visiting the Hawks, we were ready for Green Arrow to be a letdown. But the two arrows catapulted to meet us, launched by their knockoff Batmobile, and they took us on a whirlwind tour of their favorite adventures. As they drove us through the city, we settled in to enjoy a few years worth of stories. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. We are a detective short tonight. Uh, Shannon is uh, busy, but we have Green Arrow to cover. And I feel like as I was uh, reading these and, and planning out what we were doing next, I think our main continuity that we should always return to as a barometer for what's happening in the world should be the JLA books. Yeah. Which seems to be in contemporary comics at the moment, how things are done, where it's like there is a main book that everything kind of relates to, and that's like your continuity, you know, foundation. So what we're doing essentially is covering everything up to when continuity started or when we last left continuity which was the green arrow being inducted into the jla so that's a lot it's quite a lot Doesn't it wind up being uh, like 35 issues worth of six issue stories yeah or six it's, page stories? it's it's a lot like basically we covered around 250 pages of comic <sighs> in here if you look at it it's about a little over 250 almost 280 it did take um, me a while. <laughs> and they are short. They're they're quite readable, but there's a lot going on. Um, I'm going to gloss through most of it, but I'm going to focus on the major storylines, those being um, expansions of lore or just something I find particularly interesting because of something that might come back at some point later. Um, but we have a lot to cover, so Joanne and I are in tune on this one. So what we're going to do is we're going to start um, in adventure comics because Green Arrow was alternating between adventure comics and World's Finest. Eventually he'll just be in World's Finest. Um, so what we're going to start with is Adventure Comics number 250, July 1958. Now remember we are in 1961, 1962 in JLA. So this is how far back Green Arrow was starting. And the first story is pretty simplistic, which also raises a couple questions, as there are multiple green arrows around the world. <laughs> it's and, a it's a weird and kind of out of character one. Yeah, it never comes up again. These guys never show up ever again in the history of the comic, and it's just a bunch of guys who call themselves variations or der derivations of the green arrow in different countries for reasons it doesn't seem to matter and no one knows. And the story is just one guy's pretending to be a green arrow and he's a criminal, and they all catch him, because what? I mean, they're Green Arrow. <laughs> um, World's Finest, number 95, July, August, 1958. A criminal dresses up as a hero called the Red Dart and uh, tries to gain Green Arrow's trust and uh, commit crimes in his, you know, blind spot. Uh, by the way, Green Arrow has his sidekick named Speedy. The only reason I'm not explaining their backgrounds right now is because those haven't actually shown up in canon, not for a while. So you have Green Arrow and you have Speedy, who's just a little boy dressed in red and yellow, um, who does arrow things just as good as him. Child but, palette swap. Yeah, it's it's Batman and Robin. Um, Adventure Comics number 251, August 1958. People from the future send Green Arrow and Speedy uh, a bunch of futuristic arrows that they use to stop a couple crimes. 
uh, World's Finest, number 96, September 1958. GA and Speedy stop a bunch of mobsters who have kidnapped an MIA scientist, basically somebody who was thought missing, presumed dead. Adventure number 250. Uh, uh, that was World's Finest. I'm going to get confused because there's a lot. So we did Adventure World, Adventure World, Adventure number 252, September 1958. There's some giant arrows from another dimension that take, oh, yeah. that they ride into this other dimension, very similar to those Wonder Woman stories where she goes to like the dimension of giants, uh, which then is concluded in Adventure number 253 where they get to the second dimension where they help a giant green archer man vigilante uh, stop a bad guy and then they're sent home. It's pretty... Like, I'm doing the barest bones Reader's Digest versions of these because they're particularly unremarkable, but also there's a lot. And I um, also want to call out that one specifically. Uh, first off, the second issue doesn't make any reference to the fact that it's a part two. Right. It it has a very abrupt act one, or in, I guess inciting incident in this case, but it sure reads as though it's just, oh, this stuff happened. Right. Uh, the other thing there is what was the the core conflict introduced in the first one is wrapped up in the first like two pages of the second right. issue. And then it's, Oh, how do we get home? And who is this, uh, green arrow who is a giant in this, uh, giant dimension. Exactly. We're then going to move to world's finest number 97, October, 1958 mobsters, uh, with a giant mechanical octopus. <laughs> I yep. mean, re- yeah, that's it flies. It. Uh, adventure number 254 november 1958 uh ga and speedy fight native americans after crash landing there's gonna be a lot of native americans in these stories for some reason not quite sure why but i guess it's because arrows and stuff yeah i think so probably it also doesn't hurt well it hurts in general but also running in World's Finest is Tomahawk, which is starring basically a Davy Crockett character during the Revolutionary right, War. we talked about that in one of the other uh, episodes. Yeah. Um, Adventure number 255, December 1958. This is a this is a, a television episode of, I think, the $6 million man, where he crash lands on an island and he finds a guy who still thinks World War II is going on, a Japanese oh. soldier. This, but this, I think, comes before that episode of the show. I mean, the the reason it's happening at all is because it was happening not quite all the time, but not far right. from it. Uh, so Adventure Comics number two fifty five is uh, GA and Speedy find a bunch of Japanese soldiers who don't believe the world the war has ended thirteen years ago, and they have to disarm them and make them harmless. Essentially, World's Finest number uh, but, but, but what is that number that I wrote? That's a ninety eight, uh, December nineteen fifty eight. Speedy and GA think their secret identities are compromised due to some country club prank that GA belongs to, um, which is stupid. Uh, Adventure number 256, January 1959. Okay, this is the first instance we get of GA's backstory. Mm -hmm. Hey, Arrow fans, how are you doing? Uh, If any of you are listening to the podcast how are you how are you enjoying the latest season while since i watched that show um so leon Yu, you know that island purgatory that island that they can never not go back to for reasons unknown you know how that looks that looks exactly like the island in this comic it's literally shot for shot this what the island looks like the island in the comics however is called starfish island leon Yu is much more of an upgrade um (laughs) i'll agree with that so a bunch of people find Le- uh, I almost said Leon Yu, but they find Starfish Island, and they're going to like walk around and check it out because it's a previously undiscovered island. GA hears about it, 
realizes that you know when he was playing uh tom hanks and castaway he made a journal about him learning how to be an archer on this island and stated his name and everything and realizes that if people are exploring the island they'll find a cave and they'll figure out a secret identity so while him and speedy fly to the island to stop people from doing this he explains it like, oh, I was shipwrecked and I learned how to be really good at archery and I learned how to make trick arrows with nothing but primitive tools and I got really good at a bunch of other stuff and I made a weird green arrow outfit and then I stopped some pirates from destroying a, a ship that was passing by and that's how I got home and became the green arrow. That's pretty much it. You know, uh, it's a pretty simplistic backstory, all things considered. It's pretty much like Wesley Dodds and the Sandman. Like, I just, I was rich and I decided to be. And so, no. I actually didn't check. Is this the first time that that backstory, that origin story came up? So, we did not read the Golden Age Green Arrow. I'm not terribly certain what Golden Age Green Arrow and Speedy's origins are, mainly because we never read The Seven Soldiers of Victory. This is, for lack of anything else, the origin of it is a rich guy who fell off of a boat, stranded on Starfish Island, becomes a great archer, and saves his way back home. Yeah, it's felt pretty consistent. Like, that's the one that I always remember growing up right. with. So, Adventure Comics number 257, February 1959. Uh, oh, by the way, Happy New Year was the Starfish Island. Um, villains sabotage Green Arrow and Speedy's arrows, and they gotta just work their way around that. World's Finest, number 99, February 1959. Gangsters use giant magnifying glasses to uh, pretend to be really big and full cops. Oh, yeah. Another uh, giant story, except this time it is Fake uh, giants. faking giant. Yeah. Uh, Adventure, number 258, March 1959. This is a dumb crossover. Do you remember those, like, oh, yeah. weird, those yeah. weird like self-insert fan fictions that we didn't like about Bruce Wayne figuring out who Superboy was when he was a kid because that was something we did? We have kind of a similar situation where Superboy, who blows off a date with Lana Lang, which is the worst decision you could make, um, to, you know, putz around in his laboratory at home with his weird time machine, sees a green archer in the future, who is Oliver Queen, and then finds out that Oliver Queen is visiting Smallville and says, I think I should make sure he becomes the Green Arrow, and proceeds to just force archery onto this poor boy who's terrible at archery and he's rich so it's probably a, a little bit oh but i don't want to pluck the well, bowstring no, no, i don't think it's even that like he says like he's not interested he has like other sports interests it okay. was more just like i don't want to do this That's other true. child i don't know <laughs> like it's like another kid going you should really do this other sport and he's like piss off kid like there's no like there's no incident where we see like Clark Kent befriending Oliver and then asking him to do it. Like, some bad guys try to mess with the town, and Superboy, at every given opportunity, forces Oliver to try and stop them with arrows, which is not a good way to reinforce a skill because he keeps getting worse at it. So, he's lucky the reverse effect doesn't happen, but eventually, of course, it does work. And we get uh, the next story in that Adventure Comics 258. Um, is Green Arrow teaching a bunch of soldiers how to use bow and arrows to track down gangsters who are dressed up like Native Americans to fool people. Yeah. Weird. Weird and bad. World's Finest, number 100. Woo, 100. March 1959. The Green Arrow Clown. Yeah. Just a clown whose Green Arrow themed uh, helps uh, Ollie and uh, Roy. That's Speedy. Roy Harper. 
Adventure Comics number 259, April 1959. A guy asks for archery lessons only to, of course, betray Green Arrow because he's a criminal. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Just, random random stranger on Craigslist who wanted to learn archery from a superhero. I just always have flashbacks to... Uh, it's one of the Muppet movies. I think it's... The, the Muppets go to London or one way or another. It's the Muppet movie that's set in England. There's a line where... Uh, the villain of the piece has betrayed everybody and they're like why and the line is because i'm a villain there you go and yeah solid solid reasoning muppets fiat betrayal i dig it fiat Um, fiasco there you go i like that 80s movies aside um adventure number 260 may 1959 uh ga teaches a small child how to be a good archer like speedy to help his family in a different location because that's what you do and speedy gets jealous because green arrow's bad at communicating things <laughs> world's finest number 101 may 1959 a bad guy takes uh useless inventions and turns them into like death machines to fight and make crime adventure number 261 june 1959 a wizard says that ga will put an arrow through speedy and what he ends up doing is putting an arrow through a mannequin of speedy that they use as doubles uh, World's Finest, number 102, June 1959. Mobsters who are really good at camouflage. <laughs> like, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, adventure number 262, July 1959. The Origin of Speedy. Okay, so apparently Roy has been a really big fan of GA and is following his exploits. And when GA is supposed to go to, like, the county fair, he goes up on one of those giant, like, magnetic uh, viewing ports that you have in the 50s and 60s and spies him at the festival gets off the thing finds him and says ga ga i'm a great archer like you shoots an arrow and the arrow just completely whiffs and goes like just goes away like it turns left yeah and he's like why science and ga's like pretty sucky at that bow kid and leaves so roy goes home to his what I can only assume is his foster father, Chief Bravebow, a Sioux Indian chief who has taken up in raising Roy after Roy's real father died during a forest fire because he was a park ranger, and has and Bravebow has sworn to raise Roy like his son. Nice guy. Teaches yeah. Roy how to be a really good archer, and we see that Roy is in fact a really good archer. And Bravebow says, "You just got to keep trying, man. Like maybe you're just nervous." So. Roy does this twice more, and of course, each time his arrows somehow deviate course dramatically, and eventually, like he, we're talking, uh, like like cur- wanted. If if you yeah. didn't know that you couldn't curve a bullet, yeah, how Ac- would you do it? Acme smart arrows, like <laughs> yes. just straight up turning like ninety degrees right or left, and he's just like, I don't understand a green arrow who is not phased by this spectacular miss at all. Just says, Wow, you suck! Like not even <laughs> yep. like that's impressive. How did you do that? Um, so eventually Roy helps GA stop some legit criminals. He's like, man, I don't even want to be your hero, like your sidekick anymore. And Green Arrow goes, Hey, so did you go in that magnet thing earlier at the fair today? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, that probably magnetized your arrowheads. Cause they're sticking to the back of this car. He goes, Oh, he goes, so you're a pretty good shot. You want to be my sidekick and stuff? And Chief Brabo's like, see you nerd. And that's how we get Roy and Green Arrow is they're just good archers and pretty lamely thrust together due to fiat reasons except roy was also raised by a sioux indian chief i guess who while written like indians native americans 
are written with the broken English is pretty normal. Like, he's drawn stereotypically, but there's mm-hmm. nothing about him that says that he's just a, that he's not just a guy who doesn't speak English very well. One thing that we'll see again and actually again and again, uh, also in Tomahawk to a pretty heavy degree, uh, pretty much every Native American character, unless they're the villain of the piece, is either uh, the honorable guy who uh, is the teacher and just patient. No, come on. Like you're learning the you're learning the proper ways. And here's how you do things. Uh, Or the person who is honorable and just needs to be shown oh i i was tricked by this person or they're the deceiver or they're the honorable victim right what i guess already said they're victim they teeter very heavily on the noble savage trope yes heavily. Um, they don't go into it but it is very it's it's two lines shy of it yes all they had to say is like one thing and it would be the noble savage trope so it's not good but it also kind of breaks even because it could be worse, and we've seen worse. Yeah, it. Hell, we've seen we we see worse with the portrayal of the Japanese characters. This is pretty typical uh, Silver Age. And I do want to call out that it is specifically limited in its portrayal. It is stereotypical in its portrayal, especially in comparison to uh, Thomas from Green Lantern, who is a yeah. much more 3D character. And granted, yeah. these are not stories that have any 3D characters. No, we're not getting but... any depth in these. And also, this is his first and pretty much only appearance. Yeah. So it's not like we get more with Chief Brave Bow, um, at least not that we read, in the near 280 pages that we read. So Lord. <laughs> it's not looking like he'll return, but this seems to be the solidified actual backstory for Roy Harper in Earth 1. Mm-hmm. Um so we go to Adventure Comics number 263, August 1959. Speedy does odd jobs to buy a boat. Like straight up, he wants more money so he can buy a sailboat. And I'm like, how much is a sailboat in 1959 money? I remember uh, liking my allowance so that I could get Warhammer figurines. Yeah, like 40 bucks was like a big deal. And this kid wants to buy a goddamn boat. Um, <laughs> World's <laughs> Finest number 103, August 1959. Uh, an intangible criminal. Just a guy who's f- figured out how to make himself intangible. Adventure Comics number 264, September 1959. Uh, Green Arrow goes back in time to help Robin Hood for reasons. <laughs> he stumbles upon a time machine and gets sent back in time. World's Finest number 104, September 1959. Uh, GA convinces a tribe of Native Americans that he's a magical chief of legend to try to halt them from attacking non-Native Americans in an attempt to scam them. Literal red face. Yeah, this was the this this is more upsetting and more terrible than yep. Chief Brave. Bo, oh, substantially. Which is interesting that like they went full hard red face and it was like, wow, you were doing like okay up until this point. Um, I don't know, yep. though, like the spontaneous Native American Indian attack when they land their plane earlier in one of the other stories is pretty like, well, this is kind of out of the blue. Yeah. Um, but regardless, uh, Adventure Comics number 265, October 1959. Uh, a bunch of youths make uh, some trick arrows for GA and Speedy that they kind of scoff at, but then realize that they're actually kind of useful. And this is like one of the most 
telegraphed, telegraphedly formulaic of, yeah. oh, here's these three things that, oh, those could never work. And then, of course, oh here God. are the ways that they work. The and baby, it's, it's yeah. satisfyingly yeah. formulaic. It's, it's, it's a... Uh... Nice and nice and wholesome. It's a yeah. nice and wholesome story. Oh my god, the baby rattle arrow worked. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what a surprise. Uh, Adventure Comics number two sixty six, November nineteen fifty nine. GA and Speedy accidentally tip some arrows with kryptonite, and Superman uh, tries to slyly get rid of them while they're doing crimes. They have to work around the fact that their special new arrows don't work anymore, which is just Superman at high speeds getting rid of them. Uh, nice crossover there, I suppose. So that's twice GA has cro- uh, has crossed over with another character superboy and now superman mm-hmm. and world's finest specifically actually no that was a, that was adventure comics mm-hmm. um world's finest number 105 november 1959 a bad guy with deadly miniature toys not the toy master sadly enough but it's mm-hmm. mr miniature and it's basically the toy master just a guy with small miniatures that do things that their normal live counterparts would normally do i forgot that was the same gimmick as the toy master yeah uh, Adventure Comics number 267, December 1959. Hey, remember that Aquaman team-up we talked about in our Aquaman episodes? Where uh, two criminals break out of jail at the same time. One is an Aquaman villain and one's a GA villain. And they kind of swap who their nemesis will be. It's just Green Arrow finally seeing the story about that. And it's kind of neat that we get that. Um, underwater crossbows. Yeah, underwater crossbows. It's pretty dope. And that's the third crossover that these guys have so they are actually meeting more justice league members than everybody else world's finest number 106 december 1959 bad guys with inflatable suits blimps and vacuums because they think pneumatics works better than normal technology to commit crimes adventure number 268 january 1960 happy new year speedy and ga hallucinate uh that they fight alongside king arthur because we had to have that happen because we did robin hood i suppose Adventure Comics number 269, February 1960. Uh, They prove that the Wizard Archer's stunts are believable. The Wizard Archer is a comic character that is being pitched to more fun comics. My favorite trope. Actual comic companies showing up in this world. More fun comics was the first book that DC ever published. In the comic, is it is it listed as more fun in more fun comics? Because in the version that I read, it was All Star. Mm-mm. I wonder if they changed that. I don't know. So what is that? Adventure two sixty nine. Oh no, it's All Star. You're correct. Okay, it is All Star Comics, and again, also a book that DC Comics publishes in the real world. Mm. Yeah. To to their credit, uh, I don't know if All Star was still running at that point. Which, which... And, and also like the discussion, none of the stuff that they see is explicitly DC characters. Yeah, they all look fit like fake characters. And basically an artist tries to pitch a new character called the Wizard Archer, which is based off of Green Arrow. Now, here's a thought. If All-Star Comics is no longer being published in the main continuity of the DC lineup in the real world, does that mean that All-Star Comics publishes stories about the JSA in Earth-1? I'm down with that. Multiverses. Anyway, uh, that's just a possibility. I don't know. Just a nice thought that makes me like that trope a little bit more, even though I world's <laughs> finest number 107 we haven't, we haven't gotten a lot of those we haven't recently. gotten that no flash had that but that yeah. is going to come into play because he's going to be the first one to deal with that yeah uh world's finest number 107 february 1960 criminals who dress up like mole men commit a bunch of crimes to get away with first contact blunders and then they get caught they've well, got fursuits and a tank they they look convincingly like yeah. mole men i feel like they missed a calling there they could just be making uh, like costumes for movies and make way more money world's finest number 108 march 1960 a robot T-Rex in a volcano. 
that's need I say more? Uh, World's Finest, number 109, May 1960. A bad guy with bubble traps. Need I say more? World's <laughs> Finest, number 110, June 1960. Uh, a guy who alters color spectrums and light commits a bunch of crimes. They call him like the Spectrum King. Hmm. World's Finest, number 111, August 1960. Big ol' exclamation point for the Clock King! One of my favorite Silver Age villains, because what in the good goddamn is this outfit? I it, Does that mean he comes back? Or oh, yeah. Just, oh. Clock King makes an appearance in the 52 series as one of the major masterminds that are on Oolong Island. Wait, really? I'm not kidding. For, I need to reread that. Oh, that was, man. How long ago was that? That's at least seven or eight years ago now oh, clock king That's has made a more series. contemporary appearance i'm I'm just saying he's made a 2000s era appearance all right and all i right. just love his outfit for those who don't see the image it's a guy in a full body leotard spandex suit that is covered in old timey for those who are younger for those who are not alarm clocks basically a round clock with the two bells at the top where the alarm would be it's just covered with that image and then he's got a clock face in front of his face and the two the second and the minute hand act as really 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 thin eyes and then he's got a cape it is bafflingly stupid but i love it it's it is extra and it's enjoyably so yeah it's a look. like at six pages per story it's perfect. Yeah. It's amazing. He's got a giant hourglass trap that leads into a spike pit at the bottom. Yep. Yep. It's fantastic. They He's... get out of it with a suction cup arrow. Oh, it's great. It's yep. a great it's a great I, Silver I Age comic. I don't know if we've really impressed on everybody the degree to which this is about trick arrows that are yeah. sometimes the same, but often oh Bat repellent. Yeah, I'll just bat list, shark repellent. I'll just list off a bunch of the arrows at the end, uh, just that off the top of my head that I remember that are just silly as all get out. But this is a great example of how Silver Age these stories really are. It's just freak of the week, monster of the week, bad guy of the week, beat 'em ups. They are what I can only assume is just what Batman is at this time. Because again, remember the backlogs aren't showing us this for some reason. Because thanks, even though I just pre-ordered the DC Universe thing. Uh, World's Finest, number 112, September 1960. A criminal finds out the identities of both Green Arrow and Speedy, but he also dies protecting them because he feels bad because he just wants to blackmail them and not have them get hurt. And so that the status quo can be maintained. Correct. World's Finest, number 113, November 1960. Miss Arrowette. So there's a girl who's really good at arrow stuff who wants to help Green Arrow and Speedy and is afraid of crime and things. Because she doesn't realize that they're going to shoot at her. And Green Arrow is pretty misogynistic in this story. And I don't really like it. uh, Because he's like, crime fighting is no place for a lady. And I'm like, your girlfriend's going to really hate that line in about two years or so. So we're going to see how that works out. We're just going to remember Miss Arrowette when it comes time for the Black Canary to show up. Ollie. It it treats girl as a gimmick. Yeah, it's not good. She's got... uh... She's got a mirror arrow. She's got a hair tincture arrow. A, a what is it? A, a powder puff arrow yep, that blinds yep. people because it's a puff of cosmetics. Like it's bad. It's yep. a bad, bad story about women. Um, Aquaman did it better with the yeah. like the female Aquaman characters or the women Aquaman characters that show up and have powers for like a day or what have you. Like mm-hmm. this is just bad. This is sloppy yep. and bad and not good. Um, world's finest number 114 december 1960 an alien helps green arrow and speedy stop another alien um that's pretty much it and the final story world's finest number 115 january 1961 happy new year 
they help some rebels in a guerrilla war against a totalitarian government. 100%. It is distinctly the battle of two states, and one state being invaded by another. The peaceful state doesn't have advanced weaponry. Yeah. Uh, So it's not Not quite, quite, but but it it is is absolutely (laughs) like, it is closest to, uh, I guess, Last of the Mohicans. It's basically Avatar. Um, oh wow, it's a lot of Avatar. Last Samurai. Yeah, and it they don't play the they don't play the disadvantaged power or weak ethnic group card too heavily. But, but it, it's implied. it is definitely a group that is somewhere in Latin America. It is, it's definitely implied that they are understaffed and underprepared to fight against the totalitarian government, and Green Arrow is there to lend his quote unquote expertise to help them. Yep. Um. So, for reference, there's a lot of unknown, uncredited writers for a lot of these, but we've got, like, Dave Wood and France Heron. Um, I didn't spy any Gardner Fox, but then we also get an Ed Heron, which is spelled with the last name the same way as France Heron, so I don't know if it's the, if it's a pen name or it's the same guy using two different names, or if they're brothers, who knows. Um, but Ed Heron, and then we've got Robert Bernstein, who shows up. Um... Yeah, like it's it just ends up being Dave Wood, Ed Heron, uh, France Heron, Bernstein. So you've got pretty much those four guys taking their turns on Green Arrow, and it feels like four different people are writing this character. Yeah, and to their credit, it's definitely different and isolated uh, stories, but it doesn't feel uh, like the overtone window no. is too different. Like there are the dips into sci-fi where it's the alien, uh, the the getting arrows from the distant future, uh, the time travel stuff, but those are pretty few and far between, yeah, especially are... compared to like the Superman and Batman stuff we're reading at the time. As, as dumb as it is to say, these are better Martian Manhunter comics. Yes, one hundred percent. Like that's the stupid way of saying it because Martian Manhunter is dealing with one hundred percent the exact same things just not as fun because he doesn't want to use his Martian powers. Mm-hmm. So it was boring just watching him like, oh, I must hide my abilities. It's like you, you could at least look like the Martian when you did stuff. Um, versus Green Arrow is like, nope, we're in a suit. We're doing things. And this is the thing that we're doing. Me and Roy, we're speedy and GA. We're just doing Arrow stuff. And that's more exciting and fun and pulpy than just the weird half-ass noir that was Martian Manhunter. And I specifically want to call out, I actually literally just realized this one, uh, the trick arrows, like, growing up, I always thought, oh, boxing glove arrows, whatever. But on the other hand... Now in context. Well, first off, it is it is interesting. Like, I like right. the variety, and nothing is... For whatever reason, uh, I think because it moves so quickly, I just go, okay, yeah. Sure. Uh, but importantly... It's never like I can't do a thing because I'm not, they're not jumping through hoops to justify the weird arrow as compared to a regular arrow. It's just, nope, this is how we do things. Yeah. And it, it, the, and the momentum is never broken yeah, down. The, the arrow does not slow story. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually, in fact, propels it. Yep. Um, yeah. It, it makes sense within the context of the comics code now why we have the boxing glove arrow. Mm-hmm. But for reference, types of arrows that we've seen. The mummy arrow, which is an <laughs> yep. arrow that's got a little Egyptian sarcophagus at the end of it that wraps a dude up in wrappings. You've got the boxing glove arrow, the firecracker arrow. There's like a straight up like missile arrow that blows up in an actual missile blast at one point that they use. 
Um, there's a couple like that. Like there's a firecracker and a dynamite arrow. There's a rain arrow, which basically just has a shower <laughs> head at the end of it or a, a, uh, like a water can head at the end of it that sprays rain. There's the yeah. fountain pen arrow, which latches onto the back of a car and like leaks a bunch of ink so that they can track the car. The siren arrow, which is something that they shoot that goes overhead the target so that it makes a loud noise so that people can hear it and see it as it comes. There's a, a wide variety of these arrows that are very purpose of plot they're very pop yep. arrows in the fact that it's just like whatever we need it to do it does and somehow we'll make it work um very much like arrowettes arrows and you know the powder puff arrow the the compact mirror arrow the you know hair dye arrow so that she can mark a car and it like see it drip for miles or whatever like there's some good stuff there the buzzsaw arrow that cuts through trees <laughs> the drill arrow that drills through a building wall i mean there's a lot there's a lot but then again, you're right, backyard repellent. So mm. it's not unbelievable Although in this is, universe. Yeah, and it's also uh, one thing to clarify. Uh, I think one of the things that bat shark repellent is there for is to show that Batman is prepared for everything. Uh, whereas the trick arrows are just look at all of these things, all, at, the, yeah. all the toys, all the right. toys. Look at all the things that I've made for any occasion that could work. Uh, and specifically not like I'm prepared for anything, but just like... Uh, Oh, here's something interesting. Sure, this could work. Um, you've also got the aeroplane or the aerojet, yep. which is a jet, not a plane. Um, the aero car, which has a catapult on the back. To which is them. so good. Can we I take a the... minute oh, yeah, to just sure. glory in that? It's on the cover of this book. The Them being oh, yeah. catapulted off of the aero car. Yeah, they get to dynamic entry so often. Oh, they yeah. don't necessarily enter anywhere. Through windows, but it's like, oh, let's get over launched. Things. And shoot as we go. Everything is like, uh, if any of you have played Exalted, that's the feel. Batman's missing out on being that extra. Oh yeah, um, it's it's pretty great. They have a good a good superhero entrance vehicle. Um, they have the Arrow Cave. Yeah, technically, it's a we thing. we spend remarkably little time in Secret Identities or back at the yeah, home. It's that's not the focus. Bruce Wayne and Oliver Queen are very much two different differently treated characters and oliver queen is less important in these stories pretty much what we know about oliver queen is he's rich he runs a he we don't know what he's rich with um but he's part of a country club he's very well to do roy goes to school pretty smart from what we see and crucially uh the secret identity is not really a concern you yeah you have one or two stories but like think back on what percentage of stories of superman and batman stories were oh someone's going to find out my secret identity we've got basically none of that yeah uh, in 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 this respect too i was thinking about this when there is no love interest there's no reason for the secret identity like ollie could just be ga and pretty much handle himself he seems thoroughly capable of defending any sort of situation that would occur. And even if someone, I don't know, blew up his house, it's not like he keeps all of his money under a mattress and he could make a new house. I don't I don't see a downside to being known as a vigilante for Oliver Queen. There's no stakes for him, which is probably why we don't see him as Oliver Queen. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wrote down is that we don't get like the Superman style stories of 
uh, oh, we're upsetting the status quo. This person's getting discovered. Uh, this person's getting married. And then at the end of the issue, everything's back to a status quo because there really isn't a status quo. Yeah. It's just like the status quo is they have a secret identity and they fight crime. Yeah, that's about it. Um, more also to the point of the JLA, Superman and Aquaman now can vouch for GA. Yep. Which is those, I think, and I think those are the two guys that vouch for him in the meeting. That'd be a nifty bit of... I kind of want to look back at that now to huh. see who vouches for who and who has the crossovers. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just as a thing. Because we've got the three people, we've just covered Hawkman, who is vouched for in the JLA meeting, and we've just covered Green Arrow. I just got the Showcase Presents of Adam Strange. Yes. And it's Gardner Fox. <laughs> and it's Gardner Fox in this era, though. Yeah. So it's Gardner Fox being given re- given free reign to write legit sci-fi mystery comics. They're not superhero comics, which nice. is going to be interesting. Um, I read the first issue and was like, ooh, okay. All right. Uh, let me bring up my notes. All right. Might as well jump into this bit. So one thing that's interesting, like right after this period uh, is that we start seeing a consolidation of stories. We kind of are in some of the comics. We've already reached a point where this has happened, but uh, for most of the anthology comics that we've been dealing with, it's been every issue would have three stories uh, specifically thinking of titles like uh, brave and the bold to a degree of world's finest Adventure comics, action comics, detective comics. Uh, three stories, one of them primary, two of them secondary, and uh, 36 pages each. What we start seeing is a consolidation down to two stories. Uh, and it's pretty, it winds up being pretty well locked in. Like we saw uh, with Wonder Woman. Right. Uh, we started, instead of it being three Wonder Woman stories, it started to be. one long wonder woman story and one maybe about as long maybe a little bit shorter uh wonder girl story and uh we started to get that with superman as well uh it went from superman 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 to superman and or action comics action comics uh superman story and then supergirl story um and we see that like across the line uh in 281 of uh, Adventure Comics. So not that long after we cut out, a year later. Right. uh, It shifts to a Superboy story with a backup shifting between Kongorilla one issue and Aquaman the next. uh, To four issues later, it switches to a Superboy story with a Bizarro backup. Hmm. And we get similarly uh, in Action Comics, we sort of talked about uh 262 action comics number 262 in february of 1960 it shifts to superman and a super supergirl backup uh world's finest goes for a while with things sort of as they are but eventually it does go to a superman batman story with a rotating backup uh starting in july of 63 detective comics uh does that switch in 1962 to uh batman and martian manhunter and then uh later it goes to uh batman and elongated man and the thing that i found most interesting about this uh i specifically drilled into adventure comics 
looking into uh, the stuff that we cover and then some more after it. Uh, and after it does the shift over to just two stories, it's not immediately to increase ad space. It actually is about the same number of pages of hmm, ads. Really? Uh, that winds up changing. Like I, th- I have a spreadsheet somewhere like four or five issues after it condenses down to two issues. It makes the change to being, okay, now there's an extra page and a half of ads. Uh, the specific thing that they usually do for that is the last page of every story becomes a half page ad of uh, Tootsie Roll Pops, <laughs> which we, we've been seeing Tootsie Roll Pop ads for a while. Yeah, but also it, the Daisy ads. Yep. Uh, but the Tootsie Roll Pop ads went away for a little bit and then they came back. And one thing that's really fascinating is the last four pages of almost all of the issues of Adventure that I looked at were ads. It's just like, oh, right at the back. And the very first page, once you open the cover, is an ad. Hmm. Uh, and then throughout, it winds up not being a ton of ads. Most of the ads th- in the meat of the uh, comic are actually for other things that they have. Like, oh, okay. here's the introduction of Supergirl. Cross-promotion uh, ads, yeah. Exactly that. But that one interested me. That That's the reason that I would have thought they would have condensed, like not for storytelling purposes, but, oh, this will buy us a little bit more ad space. But not right away. Um, one thing that sort of stuck out. Some of these are Jack Kirby comics. Are they? Yeah. They're his, not his art. Yes. Uh, he does. Or at least at least DC Wikia says that a number of these, not all by any means, but a number of these are Jack Kirby pencils and uh, Roz Kirby, who I yeah. assume is his wife uh, doing inks. Yeah, you're right. A lot of these, a lot of the first ones we read were Jack Kirby and Ross Kirby. Yeah, and it it feels weird that this is the first time we run into Jack Kirby oh, I totally because they're not. See it now. The, you can kind of see it. I I was not impressed yet. There are going to be some times where I am impressed. Uh, one thing that we'll see occasionally it's is the faces. Sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, is a little bit a worn looking. He he looks a little bit older. He doesn't look chiseled. That's right. what it is. He looks a little bit older, a little bit worn, but still not like grimly stoic like John Jones does. It's just a little bit more, oh yeah, I know he's got some miles on him. He also, uh, the way Jack Kirby draws eyes is very distinctive. Hmm. It's upside down triangles. Huh. Um, once you see that, you're kind of like, hmm. <laughs> also, if there's circles everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kirby crackle. Yeah. Uh, I do want to call out I don't know what it is about this era and giants. Yeah, a lot of giants. No mermaid girlfriend, though. That's true. That's true, actually. No yeah. no nautical nonsense. <laughs> uh, ooh. So, first off, uh, we, talked, uh, we touched a little bit on how uh, the story about the Japanese army holdouts uh, was not well handled. No. Uh, I do want to say, like, specifically... Uh, they do use content warning. Uh, they do uh, at one point. Green Arrow calls them Japs. It feels substantial. It feels absolutely like a step back to when we were reading Wonder Woman. And you can make some excuses for it in Wonder Woman that you can't make for it in this. Yeah, and it sucks. We're past that. Yeah, and specifically the thing it reminded me of, like the drawings aren't horrifically racist, but they yeah. are very specifically. 
every a lot of the Japanese characters look like Mr. Yunoishi from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, famously yeah. portrayed by I don't remember his name, a white guy. Yeah, uh, are... with the like drawn back upper lip, uh, so that you've got not quite a buck teeth, but like yeah, three three the times large... less stereotyped, but still stereotyped. The large overbite. Yep. Um, yeah, they're not they're not drawn caricatured, but they're definitely drawn to indicate and specify ethnic yep but one thing i do want to talk about uh more interesting uh wikipedia knowledge uh every once in a while i find something that is worth going into the wikipedia hole for thank you dr internet yep uh so we talked i mentioned a little bit that uh there were a number of uh japanese holdouts because of the nature of the island hopping campaign there just were a bunch and and the fact that there was the ethos of no surrender uh that there were these instances throughout uh 1974 was apparently the last holdout from world war ii wow and really that, yeah and that that's the famous one of the uh former commanding officer had to be flown out to countermand the order and say no uh the war is done uh, because it wasn't enough to to have like even family members there and say no the war's done it wasn't enough to have like as a like a telegram or something from the emperor saying no the war's done because all those things could be faked but the commanding officer all right there we go we're done and that's one of the famous ones but there were a bunch throughout and surprisingly large groups like in one case, there was a group of 18 Japanese uh, soldiers Jeez. in like the 50s or 60s who surrendered. Uh, but what really interests me is the instances where they kept fighting the war by fighting another war. I didn't know any of this. Uh, some of the Japanese soldiers who are considered holdouts were st- like stationed in Indonesia and Vietnam and then joined the nationalist movements. Uh, and that fought the Chinese Civil War, the Indonesian National Revolution, and the early Vietnam War. Like, there's some instances of uh, Japanese uh, officers becoming advisors to the Viet Minh. Wow. Which, it's fascinating, and it's especially interesting because Japan was so stridently anti-communist in general uh, that... You have those movements that are more communist, especially the Viet Minh. The Viet Minh uh, but then you also have the uh, the involvement in the Chinese national uh, Chinese Civil War, where apparently there was one Chinese warlord in particular who was actually one, the premier of the Republic of China at one point, uh, Yan Zhishan. And I apologize; I'm sure I got that pronunciation horribly wrong. He report apparently he recruited like. 15,000 Japanese soldiers after the Japanese surrender because they'd been stationed in like Manchuria hmm. and northern uh, northern China to be ready to fight and having fought the Soviets and just, hey, join up. We're fighting communists. Wow. And I had no idea. Like, But if you demobilize an army, like stuff like that happens, especially when there isn't going to be an army anymore. Yeah. Hmm. So that was really fascinating to me. Uh, I have written in all caps, fake uranium arrow. Yeah, that's a weird specific arrow that they have to just t- to just tick off a Geiger counter to warn people away from Ollie's cave on Starfish Island. Uh, I appreciate that Speedy is a sidekick of the like 
the character you have conversations with type rather than a bumbling sidekick or over kitty. Uh, he is closer to being a uh, Shaira. Yeah. He seems much more, he seems to have much more agency than Robin, which yes. kind of goes to the, like, if you watch young justice, he seems like he is the older character than Robin and kid flash. Yeah. So it's very interesting that like it's def it's indicative or rather indicative of the writing where speedy seems to be a partner, not a sidekick. And partly that might come down to the choice just not to not to use the sidekick as the driving humor. Right. But we don't have an infantilized uh, kid perspective character. Yeah. He's definitely not there to like reach out to kids. He's there to mm -hmm. be a weird sidekick. He's not the kitty pride. Yeah. He's yeah. He's definitely Shaira, but as a boy in archery things. Yep. Uh. This is a thing that's sort of generally worth noting, uh, and we've kind of touched on it, but I want to hammer it home. There are a lot of gimmick stories in here, like in the sense that there are villains with gimmicks, but there aren't gimmick stories in the sense of like, oh, three wishes, uh, secret identity needs to be protected. Uh, is he planning to replace me as his sidekick? There's one of those. There's not a whole bunch of them like we were kind of seeing with Robin in World's Finest. Uh, it in the same way that a lot of the a lot of the action is trick arrows not trick shots a lot of the stories are gimmicks not gimmick stories right yeah and i think this is probably the last one uh for random facts but it was too good for me not to have in there so there's the bit about how the prophecy uh kind of comes true that he shoots his he shoots Speedy, the the dummy Speedy, uh, through the heart, uh, and there's the prophecy that you will kill your best friend with an arrow. It's really just the you will kill Luke Skywalker from the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> that one goes out to all you nerds. All right, so I have two things I want to talk about that are beyond what we just talked about. This is Would you say that we are expanding from the perspective of comics into a universe hey here we go um sdcc just happened san diego comic con we're recording this the week after um i really like the aquaman trailer i haven't seen it i, I actually haven't it, seen any of the trailers i think it including really... i haven't seen the young justice trailer Ooh, okay so i really like the aquaman trailer i think it looks really good and i think really good being in the term this looks like an action movie that'll be fun I don't mm -hmm. expect it to be too incredibly well-written or what have you, but I think this movie might be fun and good and B-plus or better. You know, like, not going to knock it out of the park like Wonder Woman, but I think it'll definitely be better than Justice League, which mm -hmm. in and of itself was better than it could have been. Substantially. The Shazam trailer is amazing. So I kind of went off on a friend's post because... He was like, hmm, this looks interesting, and posted the Shazam trailer. And then a bunch of his friends were like, this looks like shit. And I go, look, you have been crying out for a fun, kid-friendly, non-dark DC movie for the last three or four years. And the second you get it, you say it looks like crap. I don't want to hear it. This looks like a kid's movie about getting superpowers. And that's exactly what this movie should be about because that's exactly what it is. The second DC makes us a, a Spider-Man homecoming in tone film, 
Everyone's got to say it looks dumb. I don't want to hear it. I don't want anyone coming to me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. However you find me, you say that crap to me, I'm going to shoot you down. This movie looks incredible. I can't wait to see it. It looks so fun. I laughed twice just watching the trailer because the jokes are that kind of funny. I hope those aren't the only jokes. I doubt that they are because Zachary Levi is really good at playing silly, goofy characters, and I'm excited for that. Chuck, the guy, the oh. main actor from Chuck, who's also the main voice actor for, of the main male character in Tangled. He's a good actor. Oh, I, I didn't realize that was him. He's a good actor. I have faith hmm. in him. This movie looks like it's not trying to take this too seriously, even though it could. And my my personal opinion is, have as much fun with it before you introduce The Rock. Have as much fun with this child child fantasy storyline before you introduce Black Adam and shit gets really weird. And if they're doing that, then that looks great. The Young Justice Volume 3 trailer looks awesome. I'm stoked for that. Aquaman had an afro in the trailer. Because he, nice. uh, Aqualad had an mm-hmm. afro in the trailer because it looks like they're all aged up even further. And that Good. looks dope. Nice. Um, I'm so there for that. Um, it looks awesome. I'm excited to hear more about the Swamp Thing television show that they're doing on, right. on the DC Universe. They're going to do a Doom Patrol t- uh, TV show, which is going to be interesting. I'm hoping that is going to be the live action equivalent of what the, what the Titans show should be, because that looks like garbage. There's a Harley Quinn cartoon coming out, which should I be hope that's good. weird. Um, I don't know what that's going to be. All the DC movies are going to be available on the DC Universe oh. streaming service. Huh. All the DC shows are going to be available, Ooh. which makes me think, oh boy, the Shazam Isis Power Hour. Kind of curious to watch that show. I want to watch old Wonder Woman. I want to watch old Batman just to see what they're like, just because mm-hmm. it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, animated series are also going to be on there as well, which is going to be cool. And it does say digital comics library. It does. And I don't have... know what that means. Yeah. But I'm excited because it'll cut down on my costs for buying comics and keeping up with the contemporary stuff, if anything. That, that's the thing. Like one of the reasons I haven't I haven't kept up with DC like at all right. contemporary because Marvel had this thing where you could keep up like with a six month delay. Great, whatever, perfect. Yeah. Uh and you couldn't do that with DC. So this, if anything, is going to keep us more contemporarily aware of what's going on. Yeah. Hopefully it's got some back scans. Please. I mean, look, more fun comics is available on your Kindle, apparently. Huh. Like, the, the Aquaman issue. Of, oh, yeah, that one. Like, yeah. I found that on a Kindle. So, like, some of these things have got to be scanned somewhere. Mm. So, I've pre-ordered it. I will do a review of the service when it comes out officially, so you can all figure out if you want this thing. And then you can maybe follow along with us, because the stuff might be a lot easier for you to get your hands on, if that's the thing you want to spend your money on. Bottom line being, there's some exciting things coming out. There's also some weird stuff coming out. (laughs) Do you have any quick recommendations? Um, hmm. So, I'm going to recommend my Green Arrow... Uh, the stuff that I've considered my versions of the character, like, and let's be clear, what we have right now is not Green Arrow as we know him in any of the iterations that we know him. Not this yet, is yeah. just, hey, uh, the bandit, not the bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, hard traveling heroes, uh, the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow series, where this was mid 70s i want to say danny o'neill uh green arrow and green lantern go on a road trip and it is the clash of ideologies the cop and the radical 
it's the one that has that iconic bit of a an older black guy basically telling off Green Lantern, I'm going to butcher this line, and I apologize. I know you've done plenty for the blue skins, and I know you helped the purple skins some, and you've definitely helped the green skins, but what have you done for the black skins? And Hal just has to say, I don't know. You're right. Hard Traveling Heroes is a great series because it does highlight all of that, and that's a very interesting dichotomy. Like Hard Traveling Heroes is one of the premier solid comics of that era for dc if you get your hands on that you're gonna you're gonna have some really good stories and then uh looking at it from the other direction actually quiver is one of quivers i loved quiver so of all people kevin smith wrote uh green arrow at a point where i think it was actually the first of the resurrections uh apparently like the retcon is the last one of the last things that hal jordan does before he goes off to die as a partial redemptive act is you're gonna come back at some point before too long yeah uh and then it winds up being a while anyways but it's oliver queen comes back and from the dead and it's what do i do to put my life back together and there are road trip bits there's family it's getting things back together with dinah uh, and yeah. navigating that, I loved that sequence. Green and Arrow a comics good are villain, solid. good villain. Yeah, Green Arrow comics are are pretty solid in general. If you find yourself some Green Arrow comics, you're gonna you're gonna find some interesting stuff there. Um, Denny O'Neill did a really mm-hmm. great run on the question. I guess that'll be oh my rec- yeah. oh god, I have a my, couple of those episodes of those issues. That's my Damn recommendation it. then. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna recommend um, hard traveling heroes, um, I'll recommend Denny O'Neill picking up the recently deceased Steve Ditko's uh, creation, The Question, in the 80s, um, after The Question was kind of a Earth-3 character that went around with Blue Beetle, another one of Ditko's creations, um, they asked Jenny O'Neill to pick up The Question, and it is, boy howdy, will that get your nihilism running. Um, Vic Sage is a reporter in a city that is worse off than Gotham, and that the government has has decided to let itself burn out and they're just like specifically not giving aid to this city and as a reporter reports on the terrible things that are happening in the city and then at night turns into the question and beats the crap out of all the bad people and then reports on it in the morning Vic Sage is Batman without the money he's got a lot of like psychedelic and um mm-hmm. philosophical trips that happen during the course of the comic some of the covers are amazing oh, at God. least in like the 80 late 80s the, artist, one. the art is beautiful in those comics um if you think watchman's dark you need to read the the question run uh specifically there is a collection volume of the 1980s question which is just called zen and violence that's right and i remember that hearing about if that. that doesn't set the tone for you it's it's pretty solid um but yeah i think we're gonna head to adam strange next and see some more of the universe in the dc world and uh get some more alien planets going dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know check out our facebook twitter instagram and dc detectives podcast.com speedy and ga were far more put together for a team that was so new to us While we hadn't seen them in the Golden Age, these Silver Age incarnations showed a zest for life and dedication to their work that was refreshing. As we left Star City, we heard reports that in a far-off jungle, the scientist Adam Strange had gone missing. We booked our flights 
and went to investigate.